in this course, there'll, there'll probably be 11 lessons somewhere in there. And um, we're going to be talking a lot about the prophets and what's going on um, with them. And so to, uh, to sort of get us up to speed, chronologically right now, we would be oh, around 586 B.C., somewhere in there. And we're going to look at the, um, the exile of the southern kingdom to Babylon. It's sort of where we'll pick up the story. If you remember when we were looking at the kings, and we were in Second Kings, um, at the end of all of that, the northern kingdom, which was the ten tribes, ten tribes of Israel, they had been um, captured and taken into exile by the Assyrians in around 700 B.C., and now the southern kingdom had remained. southern kingdom, if you remember, is Judah, comprised of the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, but it's kind of all rolled into one tribe now. And, um, and that's the southern kingdom. And the Babylonians are going to come in, and they're going to capture them and take them into exile. And so that is what's happening. The Babylonians are going to be in exile. I'm going to see what's popping here before I keep going on. So let me just mute some things. Going to mute everything but me, and then if it still pops, it's me. Okay, so um, they're going to be in exile for most of the sixth century BC, the Southern Kingdom, and uh, it was uh, King Nebuchadnezzar who was in charge at the time. That must be me. So I'm. Hang on a minute. I'm going to pause. Okay, we'll try that. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar had, has come in. He's uh, uh, sort of vanquished Jerusalem. And what we're going to read about first is uh, in the book of Lamentations. You might have heard that. Actually written by the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah stays behind in Jerusalem um, when, after the exile happens. And he sort of summarizes throughout the book of Lamentations what's happened at the hands of the Babylonians. So the best way to sort of dig into this is for me to read you these passages. And um, so I'm going to read through some select passages in Lamentations. And then, um, th- then we're going to move over into the book of Daniel. Because Daniel is actually one of the people who ends up in uh, Babylon. And uh, most of you have heard of Daniel. If no, for no other reason, because you've heard of Daniel in the lion's den. So we're going we're gonna to check that out. All right, Lamentations 1, 1 through 10. How deserted lies this city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night, tears are upon her cheeks. Among all her lovers there is none to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her, they have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed feasts. All her gateways are desolate. 
Her priests groan, her maidens grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. Her foes have become her masters, her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile, captive before the foe. All the splendor has departed from the daughter of Zion. Her princes are like deer that find no pasture. In weakness they have fled before the pursuer. In the days of her affliction and wandering, Jerusalem remembers all the treasures that were hers in days of old. When her people fell into enemy hands, there was no one to help her. Her enemies looked at her and laughed at her destruction. Jerusalem has sinned greatly and so has become unclean. All who honored her despised her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turn away, turns away. Her filthiness clung to her skirt. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. There was none to comfort her. Look, O Lord, on my afflictions, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy laid hands on all her treasures. She saw pagan nations enter her sanctuary, those you had forbidden to enter your assembly. So what you, what you see happening is that the... Um, the Babylonians have come and they've taken over Jerusalem and they've destroyed everything. They've taken the people exile, which was how uh, a, a lot of the countries did it back then. Um, when they would overcome a place, they would take the people from there and take them back in captivity. And then some of them, as we've said, would, would, would also take other people that they had in captivity and put them in the places they'd taken over. So there were still people there. We saw that happen in the northern kingdom. But here, the people of Israel are taken for better part of a century to live in Babylon. And uh, Jeremiah's left, the prophet, and he's lamenting this loss. Verse 7 of chapter 2. The Lord has rejected his altar and abandoned his sanctuary. He has handed over to the enemy the walls of her palaces. They have raised a shout in the house of the Lord as on the day of an appointed feast. Verse 14. The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The oracles they gave you were false and misleading. So you had a, a group of false prophets who had we started to read about in Second Kings who had come to the scene and, and trying to kept telling Israel everything was okay, telling Judah they were okay, even though they were in tremendous sin. Remember that their pretend, propensity was to go after false gods and to worship false idols, all of which God had told them not to do, but which they continued to do over and over and over again. And finally now, they're taken into exile in the process. Lamentations 4, 12 through 18. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor did any of the world's people that enemies and foes could enter the gates of Jerusalem. But it happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed within her the blood of the righteous. Now they grope through the streets like men who are blind. They are so defiled with blood that no one dares to touch their garments. Go away, you are unclean, men cry to them. Away, away, don't touch us. And when they flee and wander about, people among the nations say they can stay here no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He no longer watches over them. The priests are shown no honor. The elders no favor. Moreover, our eyes failed, looking in vain for help. From our towers we watched for a nation that could not save us. Men stalked us at every step, so we could not walk in our streets. Our end was near. Our days were numbered, for our end had come. So it's just, you get why it's called Lamentations now? Chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. Our inheritance has been turned over to aliens, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans and fatherless, our mothers like widows. We must buy the water we drink. Our wood can be had only at a price. So here you, you're hearing the, the state of what's left after the exile. There's a small remnant that remains. Jeremiah is there, but um, Jerusalem has been totally sort of taken down from her previous glory. 
It really didn't take that long for that to happen. Um, so you get Solomon, who was at the peak of it, and he was 900 and something B.C., and now, now we're, we're 400 years later, and everything has changed. Um, and it's because of the sins of the people and because they refused to do what God had called them to do. And so this just continued over and over and over again. Um, fortunately, it's not the end, the exile. Uh, God continues to rescue his people. You remember I've talked to you about the theme of Exodus. We talk about that a lot here, right? And so that, that theme of God rescuing his people continues in the scripture. Um, we see it obviously in the first Exodus when they're rescued from Israel. Then if you, if you go and read the book of Judges, God rescues in the book of Judges each time. It's sort of like another Exodus. He keeps going, rescue them, bring in the back. He will bring his people back from exile. Uh, and we'll, we'll catch up to that. That will happen here. And they start coming back um, to Israel and they start rebuilding things at about in the 300 B.C.'s uh, range. And we'll see that start to take place, 400, 300, where um, they get out of captivity and start coming back because things change. But um, we, we'll catch up to that as we go. So now you've got this Babylonian uh, exile. People are in Babylon. Daniel. Uh, then they actually took over uh, Jerusalem in two two stages. And so the first time they went, um, they got a group of folks. And that would have been in 605 B.C. was when Daniel actually went to Babylon, taken in captivity. And again, the best way to sort of get this information from Daniel is for, to read it and to listen to it. So I'm, while we have the time, I want to read you some chunks of Scripture in the first three chapters here of Daniel. Uh, verse 1, Daniel 1. 1 through 21. In the third year of the reign of Joachim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Joachim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in uh, the treasure house of his God. And then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief officials gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. That, that, that is annoying. I can't make it happen. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they look healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. 
pause there. So if you've ever heard of a thing, I'm going to change this. If you've, uh, if you've ever heard of the, the diet they have now called the Daniel Fast, you ever heard of that? It comes right out of here. That's what they're talking about. So, fruits and vegetables, no good, no good stuff. That's me doing that. Okay, let's see what happens. So, so the guard took away their choice food and wine, and they were given uh, uh, and to drink and gave them vegetables and said, To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, let's, let's keep picking up the action here because it's, it's pretty impressive. Daniel 2, verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your house is turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. So you get what he's asking for here, right? He's not going to tell them what the dream was. He wants them to tell him what his dream was and interpret it for him. So it's a pretty high pressure thing. And they're like, once more they replied, verse 7, let the king tell his servants the dream and we'll interpret it. And the king answered, I'm certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. At that point, you probably wish you weren't an enchanter and a magician in the court of Babylon, right? You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the, king's ask, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So, 
The decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's god, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and disposes them. Deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what, you, uh, what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he is asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. As you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what's going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue is made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, and the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a, on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another king will rise, inferior to yours. Next, the third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron. For iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Ever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain. 
but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Now, why that cool? Why that the, the interpretation and the dream and everything was cool? First, it's very cool that God reveals it to Daniel. And obviously it's the right one because Nebuchadnezzar says that's it. So that was pretty intense. But what Daniel talks about there is these kingdoms. And he says to Nebuchadnezzar, okay, that you're the gold kingdom, and you're, they were existing right now, and Babylon ran from uh, 605 to 539 B.C. That's when Babylon was in charge of the world at the time. It was the kingdom sort of over all kingdoms. After them came the Medo-Persians. That was the next one he saw. And they'll reign from 539 B.C. to 333 B.C. And uh, we'll see them pop into the picture in a little while because they come in and take over Babylon and it's part of that reason that, that the people get to go back to Jerusalem the bronze group that he talks about is Greece and the, the, the Greeks ruled everything from 333 to 167 BC and then the Iron Kingdom was Rome and Rome comes to power uh, in, in 167 BC and stays in power till um, for quite some time, up into the, the next part of the thing. But what Daniel talks about there is a kingdom is going to happen during that kingdom that's going to last forever. And what we see is Jesus come and inaugurate the kingdom of God. And so sure enough, all of that stuff hit prophetically as it was supposed to. Now, we, we understand now the kingdom, you know, we're is here, but not fully here. We're waiting for the return of Jesus to consummate the kingdom. But that kingdom, which ends all kingdoms, is in place now. And uh, is, we're just waiting for the return to set everything up. But it's neat to see prophetically how back in Daniel, uh, God showed Daniel these things were going to happen. And we see the timeline for it to take place. And we watch it happen. That, uh, that the, king, the, the kingdom that will end all kingdoms, Jesus, that kingdom that he inaugurates comes during the time of the Romans who were that people of iron that were there in the process. So we see that happen prophetically all the time. These things that were in the Old Testament prophesied some that have um, have some sort of oftentimes an immediate fulfillment and then a future fulfillment and we watch that take place so i don't have time to do daniel and the lions then today so we're going to do that next week because that's a fascinating story and i want to make sure we cover it so we'll we'll hold off on that and we'll end it there because it's five minutes to eight but if you want to get ready for next week read read daniel three and um and a little bit more in daniel we'll, we'll kind of highlight it but the Daniel 3 is the one everybody knows about Daniel in the lion's den, and it's very cool. And there's a lot of stuff in Daniel that impacts us now. Daniel 7 is a big chapter where there's a, a lot of things that mean a lot for us today, so we need to be aware of it. But uh, good. We'll end it there. Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. 
We'll see you next time.